everybody. We're back in the new year with another commission podcast. This one, the 1994 Oliver Stone piece, Natural Born Killers, starring Woody Harrelson, Juliette Lewis, Robert Downey Jr., Tommy Lee Jones, Tom Sizemore. The um, list goes on and Among on. others. Yeah. Uh, this was commissioned. This was like a, um, a tag you back Christmas present from Jason. Uh, J- Amy commissioned two podcasts over the Christmas break for Jason, Transformers, and Toxic Avengers. I guess this is Amy's favorite uh, movie of all time. And uh, huh. he had a dedication to her. Said, uh, my wife Amy's already pretty much summed up our amazing relationship in the other cast. And I mentioned her love for this insane movie already. Uh, the only thing I ask for you to add is a quick mention of my father, Paul. My dad passed away earlier in the week, uh, and he was like a father to Amy, and she just needs to know how much he truly loved her, and I would have never made it through this week and this ordeal without her at my side. So that's hmm. that's nice. Uh, that's actually rough. Um, you know, my dad and my sister are about the only family I got left, so when my dad dies and I know – I just – I can't remember what I was watching, but I was, I, or maybe it was something I was reading, but someone said that when your grandkids show up, that's life's little reminder that your warranty's about up. So it's been, you know, one thing's in my back of my mind is I know my granddad died when I was 13, and I hope I get more than three more years out of my dad, but uh, that's a big, big blow, man. Uh, yep. Sorry about that, and I'm also sorry that we didn't get the, your, your, uh, commission in time for us to get slotted in pre-Christmas, but hopefully this will, will make up for it a little bit. Um, let's talk about this film, Jim, this, it, I, I wish I was prepared to see this movie because I thought this movie, I thought I'd already seen this movie uh, and it's called California, <laughs> which stars Brad Pitt and David Duchovny and Juliette Lewis. Uh, okay. this is a different Juliette Lewis one. I think this came out a year after California. Um, mm. and it's story was originally written by Quentin Tarantino. Yeah, you can tell. You can tell. I, I guess Oliver Stone kept the dialogue, but threw out the majority of the rest of the story and adapted it with a couple other writers and directed huh. it. This film has over 3,000 cuts. Typical movies have 500-ish. Uh, he pissed off Coca-Cola by using their adorable polar bear ads in the context of mass murder. Mm-hmm. Uh, Stone played uh, 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 arena rock and African tribal music nonstop during the filming of scenes to keep energy levels up. <laughs> the prison riot scene was filmed with actual inmates from an actual prison uh, using with, with armed with rubber weapons. Having seen this, none of this surprises me. The, Zero. The of director it. of photography broke his finger, and the cameraman sliced open his eye filming the POV view of uh, Juliette Lewis slamming her head against the cell door. The soundtrack is by Nine Inch Nails. This movie yeah. is fully out of control. It is. I was, again, I was expecting California, and I got this movie, and I was blown the (laughs) fuck away, as I frequently am by Oliver Stone films. So this is the first time you've seen it then, yeah? Yes. Okay. Huh. Yes. Okay. I I have a slightly different perspective on it. I knew what I was getting going in, because I saw this, I must have been like 17 at Uh the time. I saw this years and years ago, and I remember loving it. Uh, So seeing it again... I knew what I was in for, this crazy wild ride. Most most of the stuff that stood out was the crazy prison riot at the end. Uh-huh. Um, that's the stuff that I really remember. It's almost like a third of the movie. Yeah, it's a lot of the movie. There's like another 40 minutes of, like, once you think you got to the end where they get caught. <laughs> yeah, no, I thought, like, I remember thinking when they got caught, I'm like, well, shit, this feels like a short movie. And I looked, I'm like, oh, God, we're not even halfway through. What is going to happen? Right. 
yeah, so I, I knew what I was in for, and I I just reveled in it. I, I enjoyed it. I really enjoyed this movie, too, and I kept on going back and forth between, like, thinking that this is over the top and, mm-hmm. like, that this is lamp. Like, I, I, he's holding up this this reflection of society, and when you think about this, when this this movie came out, and there's at the end of the movie, there's this montage of like these modern day, you know, like the Menendez brothers and O.J. Simpson trial, and yep. you know Rodney King beating, and like all this obsession with the celebrity of like you know serial killers uh, and true crime. Yeah, really, it's it right celebrity of crime because I mean. Look, Rodney King did nothing wrong. Right. I mean, he wasn't going around killing people, and that's not why he took a beating. Like, right, right, right. But, but we're obsessed with the watching these crimes unfold. Because, because it's weird. Because, like, you know, we're twenty years away down the pike from this movie, and America clearly didn't descend into this kind of particular wasteland. But I started thinking, like, you know, we do – there is a lot of seem, unseemly interest in criminal activities. And there's this one point in the movie where, like, you know, there's a circus around their trial and sentencing. And there's, like, all these young, progressive-looking people talking about how they're heroes and whatnot. And then they would say – and I'm like, oh, this movie – is lost its sense of self-awareness. And as I was thinking that, one of them said, now, don't get me wrong – I'm not saying murder is cool or anything. I'm just and, – and but I'm like, okay, goddamn Oliver Stone. He's smart enough to, like, make fun of his own attitudes because I'm pretty sure, like, you know, uh, Oliver Stone would be uh, against the celebrification and, and oh, the glorification right. of violence. And yet he's making a movie that does glorify and its violence and satirizes it to make a point, yeah. which also – leaves him open for some of the same criticisms and he's smart enough to see that and bake that into the movie. I I, mm-hmm. I, I found this movie very hard to put in a box and also hard to definitively say, oh, this is definitely something that's wrong with America and it needs to be changed. What? Yeah, well, I think the biggest, uh, the biggest miss of this movie okay. is that it doesn't, it doesn't have an eye toward the future as regards like the internet. And social interactions how, how on the it? well, 90, I, right? It's nineteen ninety four. This thing was probably made in like ninety two, ninety three. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it, it the internet was just budding then, yeah. but like TV is not is not one of our major concerns anymore. It's now how we interact with each other on the internet, and I mm-hmm. think that has kind of taken over the the headspace of most people mm-hmm. um, who are concerned about these sorts of issues. Right. Because TV is, you know, for what it's worth, like these sorts of things are a dying breed. Now it's all about talent shows and like looking in on the real lives of people, you know, right. not necessarily like crime and the glorification thereof. So I feel like that's the one, the one area where it just wasn't forward looking enough. It was kind of just a slice of time mm-hmm. in the nineties where, yeah, I mean, you had like the OJ thing and that was apparently I, I was not paying attention to that. I was too young, but like that just blew up, mm-hmm. blew up. And like, that was all anybody was ever talking about. And it wasn't like, you know, it, they were talking around it, you know, around the issue of like whether he was guilty or not. Yeah. And it was, it was more about like, fascination with the trial and it the, wasn't like dealing with it like this is a real thing this is a, a, a brutal murder that yeah. happened and a tragedy and like oh my god the kids and like it was all about like did he do it or didn't he do it and 
and and the, these what does two, it say about LA and the policing community and our justice system and America and racism and money and it wasn't you know like yeah. like I, I think Ebert mentioned that in his review like he, he said I've had dozens and dozens of conversations about OJ mm-hmm. but no one there's never any like real genuine outrage about the crime it's all about like this circus that's around it and people's opinions right and in this movie it's not about the crimes these people are committing necessarily. It's about the cult of personality that they're developing over these, I guess, three weeks or so. Right. But, you know, that's the thing. Like, I don't think that this stuff is a threat to become a part of America. Like, like this literal subculture of, I guess, glorification of death. I know there are the people that, like, write Charlie Manson letters and want to buy his artwork and shit like that. Mm -hmm. But, like, you know, this, where people would follow this, like, some kind of talent show, I don't think happens. But I do think sometimes, like, why does the media release the names and pictures of mass murderers? Ratings. But it seems because and then maybe there's like a journalistic integrity, like it's it's just a facts. But I'm like, well, it's weird because like they already choose what facts to publish about. Like they don't talk, they don't give their blood type, mm-hmm. they don't give their sperm count, they don't give the length of their thumbs. Like uh, to me, if you wanted to eliminate. You know, because there's some controversy, I guess, there's a couple of copycat killers inspired by, and, like, Oliver Stone's been sued by his victim's families a couple times. But to me, it seems like the one, the easiest thing you could do to eliminate copyright crimes and glorification of, of killers is to just make them anonymous. Like, you just refer to them as the perpetrator of the crime. Right. And you never had, you blur, you, you blurkle out their image, you don't mention their name, they just become literally persona non grata. Well, it's and, because they have no incentive to, right? Like, these... If if one of them decides we're going to do that, guess what? All their viewers are going to go to the place where their name and names, and they're talking about who they are and what Would they're they? doing. Yeah, I mean, it's just like so. Because I'm not suggesting we should pass a law saying it's illegal. I'm just saying. Mm-hmm. I wish journalists would realize that that stuff has no real public merit. There is no merit to these people having names. Like mm-hmm. definitely how they go through the criminal justice system and the case built against them. You know, we can't just like, oh, this person's a mass suspected mass murder, so they just get shit on. They have to have their rights protected. But the fact that, like, you know, we have first name basis with all these, you know, Jeffrey Dahmer's and mm-hmm. and and uh, you know, I could probably O.J. Simpson um, and O.J. It's like, what do you do if the it's killer's because the OJ? story is not as interesting, right? Like personalizing that in that way makes people get it more makes i don't know that i don't think that's true i don't think think that's true i think you think knowing a person's name in the picture because i think it's just i think it's voyeurism like i want to see the monster bring out the i want to see what this monster looks like and oh he looks normal or oh he looks weird oh that looks like that's exactly what i mean like you're i'm not saying like you start feeling for them what i'm saying is like it intri- the story itself intrigues you more when you put a face and a name to it. It just seems it, it, to, to kind of interest it. The kind of interest and intrigue it stokes is puerile at best. And right. I, so, but is it too what much? What does that so, matter so think, to the I media guess, company which is doing this stuff? Like I thought I've it heard works. of countries where they like. I think in Great Britain they don't like if someone like if someone shoots up a place they don't mention their name or. Sure, I, I, I mean that's a smart thing to do from like a. 
so why don't we do the smart thing? Because it's like because you it know, doesn't sell, man. It doesn't sell. But if I mean if, that's the point of this. If right? no like, one did it, it wouldn't be handicapped. But you, right. So you have to make a law. You can't just say we're going to have a gentleman's agreement not to do it. Because guess what? The next Robert Downey Jr., the next Wayne Gale, is going to come along and he's going to fucking publish it because that's going to get him the hits. That's going to get him the ratings. You can't. There is no gentleman's agreement when it comes to this type of media stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It's weird. There's a couple other things I thought were weird, like in the movie, um, they're having this murderous rampage where, I mean, because the other thing is like this, I felt like this was an accurate representation of what would happen if two crazy, stupid people fell in love because they're both very mentally disturbed. Hmm. Uh-huh. They're also very just profoundly stupid, ignorant. And, like, I've known people like this. I've seen people like this in my hometown. I've seen people like this when I'm out on vacations. Like, there are there are these crazy-ass couples living in defiance of society, but they usually are just more kind of gross and gauche and like, oh, God, why why are you fucking in the, the line at King's Island, you know? It's very rare that they, 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 they put their minds together and, and get up to truly criminal, right. felonious deeds mm. but um they're they're gonna do this murderous rampage and they happen to kill an american bronze cyclist right <laughs> what do they I, or so is that, that the dramatization for, was that just for laughs or i was mm-hmm. trying to figure out like because you know this is a crazy 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 movie like what why did oliver stone in particular it's almost like an homage to airplane you know where the 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 specialist pilot is driving in, and he's getting the phone, the call on his phone, and he's he's talking to the guy about, you know, the guy's not going to be able to land the plane, and he's there. They got the stock footage of him drive, you know, rear projection, and he just runs over a cyclist. Oh, Jesus! And it's like it's funny because it's like so matter of fact and and beyond the point of the scene. And like, was this an homage <laughs> to airplane? It was like came out of nowhere. Well, so I felt like the point of the dramatization. Uh, was that it wasn't true. It was obviously untrue. Um, they just but made this up is the, the story fact? they were selling. Yeah, because huh. like you look at that diner scene, that donut shop scene, uh-huh. and it's entirely different from what we actually saw at the beginning, right? Hmm. Now, I, I think those two events are supposed to be the same thing. Just one of them is the dramatization on, on American maniacs, and one of them is the the depiction of what really happened. Interesting. Like, they, I thought they, they were two separate events. I don't think so. Huh. I don't... I, I think that's that officer is the guy who died in the coffee shop or whatever, the diner at the beginning. Okay. I think. Okay. If I'm, I'm gonna, wrong about that, then... I, I feel a little handicapped only seeing this movie once. This is definitely a movie I want to see more than one time because... And much like... like I've seen JFK a ton of times. I kind of... <laughs> I really... Even though I think JFK is a whole bunch of bullshit, mm-hmm. it's really compelling and well-done bullshit. Like, it's, it's like huh. almost historical what if fiction and it's it's right up there like the, the man in high castle uh for like you know what if you know yeah um, and i know that's kind of you know some people believe in the conspiracy theory whatever i don't um but it's still entertaining and compelling as fuck and this movie had already three or four different layers of commentary and ways you can enjoy because it it's kind of a quentin tarantino dark comedy at mm-hmm. its heart so like yeah. I I kind of th- took the psych- the bronze metal cyclist as being, you know, one of those irrelevant details that the media throws in just to add a little bit of extra. Like oh it's you know if he was just running shooting random people it'd be one thing, but oh my god he shot yeah. an American bronze metal cyclist. I-, I think it's also there for that effect. Okay. 
Uh, I don't, I don't know that the dramatizations were weird. I thought it was pretty hilarious though. Uh, I also was wondering like about the magazine photos, like the cover photos for these magazines. How are they getting these photos? Like there's one where Woody Harrelson's looking forward and like Juliette Lewis is like licking his, his uh-huh. face or something or got her tongue out. Yeah. Like, did they pose at some point for these? Like, are these old high school yearbook photos? I don't think so because we saw it when they met. Uh huh. Um, yeah. So let's talk about that. Um, Rodney Dangerfield. Yeah. yeah. Did some good work in this movie. It like I've only that's... seen like his like going back to school where he does the triple du- du- dipple cannonball off. Right. You know, I've only seen yeah. him being. Dumbass Rodney Dangerfield. I get no respect. And he is a little bit of that. But he's also really fucking deranged and disturbed. Yeah. And and Absolutely. in the research I did, like, he essentially ad-libbed that whole thing. Did he? Like, Oliver Stone said, I just want you to be the worst father imaginable. Wow. And, like, man, he mined a rich heart of darkness. Like, I came away I wonder with what's mad... In his backstory. I came Jesus. away with some mad respect that he was able to do, like, just... I mean, to the extent that the movie does a good job of making me feel really bad for Mal and what the fuck is uh, Woody Harrelson's character? Mike? Mickey? Mickey. Mickey. Yeah. Yeah. Mal and Mickey. Um, I felt like because their backstories are truly, truly tragic. Yeah. But then they're doing just heinous, terrible things, too. Right. I mean, they're obviously, you know, natural born killers. I mean, that's that's kind of the. The thing, you know, the the Wayne, I think it's Wayne, Wayne Gale, uh, Robert Downey Jr.'s character, mm-hmm. when he's interviewing him, you know, he's, Woody Harrelson's saying, oh, I'm a natural born killer, saying, I don't believe in that shit. I think it's like, you learn that behavior, and you can clearly see that they have learned that behavior, right? I mean, they have some truly tragic shit in their backstories, uh, and, you know, that has affected them deeply, and how could it not I think it's interesting because Juliette Lewis's almost in her entire career has been built on playing crazy violent women. Mm. Uh, like she plays a weirdo and usually a deranged weirdo or she's the, like there's a couple times where she hasn't. Like I'm thinking in particular, uh, what's that Ryan Philippe and Benicio del Toro movie, The Way of the Gun? Yeah. But still, she's in a fucked up situation. Like uh, she's been in a couple American, like she was in the Christmas vacation. Uh Right. She was the daughter in that. Yeah. She's always playing this like offbeat, kind of weirdo character, but like you know, still kind of sexy and irresistible. And Woody Harrelson, I think, is trading heavily off his like Cheers image, where he plays this country bumpkin idiot, mm-hmm. and he's kind of playing that same character. But what if like Woody from Cheers was a axe murderer Actual in his spare psychopath, time? Yeah. But they both have like they, the, both of these characters can play like these wounded people you feel sorry for. But they also, like, I totally believe Juliette Lewis, like, beating the shit out of people and murdering them. And Woody <laughs> Harrelson the same way. Like, mm-hmm. he's kind of like Ed Norton in American History X. Like, he shaves his head and he's covered in blood and he's genuinely terrifying Yeah, as well. Yeah. And that's, like, just some good casting. Oh, I agree. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. I guess I don't find Juliette Lewis as sexy as maybe the next person. But she certainly... She, she's able to convince me on screen that these people find her sexy. That's, and that, it really that's good, works. Like that's, she's that's not my type, I guess yeah, is, I, is the thing, but sure. like, sure. I can totally see why someone would go for her. Yes. Right. 
There's like the she's the she's the rattlesnake, you know. And Woody Harrelson always has that kind of like edge to him, uh-huh. even when he's playing characters that don't really need the edge. I guess Cheers is the exception. Uh-huh. He doesn't really feel very yeah, edgy no in that, in that but, right. Yeah, some of his characters have been pretty intense. Yeah. Although I will say that I never felt any kind of real intelligence behind these people. Like um mm-hmm. when when Woody is in like Zombieland, he plays like a big dumb idiot, but he's also yeah. kind of got a little cunning to him and of course in True Detective, you know, Marty is a real fucking piece of work, but he's also uh got got some some real police in him. Yeah. Uh here he just felt like more of a force of nature. Mhm. Like, this is, again, what happens when two deeply stupid, psychotic people fall in love and believe each other's bullshit. Right. And it's also, like, there was a point in the movie where, like, I also found this movie has a lot in common with, like, um, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. Okay. And that yeah. there was a point where my brain shifted in, and it is kind of fun to watch these guys do their thing, and the the visuals are so over the top. But then, like, you know, there's a point, I think there's a point, like, when they pick up Christina Ricci. Is that how you pronounce her name? Christina Ricci? Uh, yeah. yeah. It is. Um, Wednesday when? Adams from Adams Family. Yeah. And a bunch when? of other stuff. Huh? In, in in Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, where wow. they it's they, they pick up this, like, runaway girl where the movie gets, like, too real. And I kind of, like, oh, man, it's harsh in my otherwise. I'm, I'm enjoying these people being outlaws. Uh-huh. But then shit gets real. There was a point in there, this movie, where things started to break bad. They killed that uh, Indian guy. Yep. And suddenly the guy who is saying that I'm the god of my world is now just like, well, I'm just a man. You know, I make mistakes. And it's like really kind of bummed me out. Like the reality of the movie intruded in the otherwise enjoyable, violent romp. <laughs> right. And I'm like, what? In the same way. I mean, that might we... be intentional. Like, I know. Bringing like... you down kind of out of that headspace of rooting for these people. Exactly. Yeah. And like a lot of these great movies, like, you know, there's a little bit of that in like Goodfellas and Scar. Like, you, you, the, you encourage the audience to forget about how terrible these things are and just like look at the pretty pictures and look how funny this is and look right. how witty and well done. And then you just, bam, bring them back down to this moment of sobriety where they have to yeah. look at themselves and like, oh, Jesus. Yeah. And I thought that could was... I have gotten so caught up in it, you know? Yeah, I, mean, I that... thought... I-, I wish that there was more of a moment of that for Robert Downey Jr. at the end. Because like... his his moment of sobriety comes right before he yeah. eats a bullet. He's got shotguns in his face. Of course right. he's sober. But like, yeah, I wish there had been a little more uh, on that end of it. Right. What are they trying to say with Jack Scagnetti, the Tom Sizemore character? I don't fucking know. I don't get this character. I don't either. I mean, again, I've only seen the movie once, but he's like... He's a cop who... Like, do you think he killed... So he says he killed a person. I think he strangled that hooker? You think so? She's maybe dead? Maybe she's a girl. I think and so. Maybe you're, I think you're right. Like, I, And did he do that just to understand... Like, you know, he's one of those... Uh, he's a method cop. <laughs> Well, yeah, no, he's like, he, he's, you know, the, the classic kind of like Rust Cole. He's got this, he's walked on the darkness enough that he knows how they think, except for this guy's right. actually just fucking murdered civilians and whatnot. Yeah. Um, I didn't understand, like, I understood the point with Robert Downey Jr., mm-hmm. um, although his, I guess his, his wild Australian accent was <laughs> distracting, but I, I guess that was inspired by some Australian shock. Was Jock it? or investigative journalist. I felt like a very strong Lethal Weapon vibe at the very beginning. See, I, he's got the hair going yeah. on, the Mel Gibson mullet, and he's right. kicking down doors. I, 
I guess yeah. that he his character was inspired by a blend of Geraldo Rivera and oh. a Rivier, Rivier? Rivera 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 yeah. and uh, <laughs> Geraldo Rivera uh huh and and some Australian investigative reporter that huh. uh, Robert Downey Jr. had kind of fallen in love with and he lobbied like let me do it in an Aussie accent right but did yeah to Tom Sizemore he's great. Mm-hmm. Great character, but I had no idea what I was supposed to think and what aspect of American, you know, law enforcement this is kind of parodying because I don't think this type of person is a real thing. The the one thing, so like the media, yeah, all that stuff is real. Uh, uh, Mallory and Mikey or whatever the yeah. fuck his name is, that stuff. I mean, there's been real people like this. Tom Sizemore, I mean, he's a psychotic cop, I guess, a psychotic. Investigator. I mean, I've seen that character Detective. before, like uh, what's his face and Leon the Professional, uh, uh, mm-hmm. Commissioner Gordon from Batman, uh, Gary Oldman. Gary Oldman. Yeah. He, he's plays that kind of psychotic cop, right? Not maybe this crazy, but still pretty fucking corrupt and crazy. But I just didn't understand the point he, because he's he's not really the villain. He's not really an antihero. No, I mean, so there's a lot I want to talk about with Tom Sizemore. So when. When I first fired this movie up when I was 17, uh-huh. there was one thought that I remember going through my head at the beginning, like right as I was about to press play, it was, please, God, don't let me see Tom Sizemore's G-string speedo-clad crotch. That was the one thing I didn't want to see in this you movie, saw and it. lo and behold, boom. Why did you say that? Did I he did have another famous... Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I thought maybe he was infamous <laughs> in the 90s for giving his banana hammock out. <laughs> Okay. No, but... Like, what is an was... oddly specific wish to get destroyed 40 <laughs> minutes into the movie? Yeah, it was unfortunate. Uh, didn't need to see that. And especially when he bends over and you just see it's a fucking G-string. I mean, that is some d- butt flaw city. Yeah. Ah, oh, Tom, what are you doing? Yeah. Uh, and then... So there's the the shootout at the the drugstore, whatever. After they get bitten by, I snakes. love that it's like this giant drug zone in like oh, yeah. nuclear radiation green, and it, like you go down the it's aisle. It's something and out of the Toxic Avenger. Like that should that whatever the the New yeah. Jersey town that would be the drugstore. It, it would be, and it's so funny because like there's aisles and aisles. There's like a whole section devoted to snake bite, snake venom, snake juice. A- antidote. Yeah, uh-huh. snake juice. And I think it's even like spelled wrong, I, or or did maybe any, that's the name of it. I'm not sure. Just a real quick tangent: Did any of the stuff with the Native American guy actually happen? That's a fair question. Like I don't think they literally got bit by snakes. Maybe not. Maybe they were just having a bad trip. I mean, because they're you know just like leaving or not leaving Las Vegas, a different bummer of a movie. Just just like uh, Lost. Uh, Jesus Christ. What's the fear and loathing in Las Vegas? Yeah. Like, it has some really effective drug trip scenes. Mm-hmm. Like the melting lizard faces people. and oh the lizard people and the sheep with too many and oddly shaped horns. Right. That was all. But, like, you know, there's just heaps and heaps of snakes outside this guy's medicine hut <laughs> yeah. or whatever. Like, I'm like, this it literally can't be happening. Like, uh-huh. they are not bitten by snakes. They're not about to die. So I just felt like all that was part of the drug trip. I and I, I think you're right. And I'm not sure wh- where it ended. Like, did did that... Was this like this small little corner CVS, and then his drug fantasy was the drug zone? Yeah, maybe. Where where does the trip stop, man? I I guess it stops when they get arrested. Like, well, but they weird. definitely get arrested there. But did you notice that like a lot of the weird trippy effects continued on in their interviews? Like, mm-hmm. oh, this guy's bathed in red light. This guy's bathed in blue light. This yeah. guy's face is still melting. Like, yeah. I don't think the trip ever stops once they stop once they started dropping mushrooms. 
Yeah, and I wonder, you know, obviously it wouldn't still be mushrooms when they're in prison, right? Uh So, like, I mean, maybe it would be, but I don't think it was implied. Uh, So it's some kind of, like, warped sensibility that they have. Like, I I didn't know what the warped faces were trying to say about these people. I just think it's like like their fragile grip on reality. Like, these are not the type of people that should be doing psychedelics. Probably not, no. At all. Uh, but anyway, I, I, I yeah, derailed so you. You're... I was going to talk about the arrest because, like, Tom Sizemore, uh, he – oh, wait. No, no, no. So it's the first investigation he does when she, when uh, Mallory, like, seduces this guy at the gas station mm-hmm. and then kills him. And Tom Sizemore comes in and he's looking around and he he's saying, oh, like, I'm going to get you, Mallory and Mickey and – like, all, all this shit, he clearly knows who it is. And then he picks up a hair. Like, that gives him, A, it's a hair from a fucking wig. It's not her hair. B, he knows who she, who he's after. It's not like his hair gives him any clues. I thought he was actually fishing a pubic hair out of his 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 okay, beard. Fine. Okay. Wait, out of his own beard? No, out of the guy. Oh. So, so the, the mechanic had eaten her out. Right, right, but who cares? Like he knows who he's after. Uh, that's true. Like, but this, unless he's got like pube sniffing <laughs> bloodhounds in the back, it not, doesn't matter. Did he not know that this was their particular train of destruction? Maybe you know. But then why is he in here? Why do they call okay. him the, the serial killer specialist? Like, yeah, I I didn't get it. That was kind of I, I I'm not sure about the police work. But then again, this guy's doing just as much. I got the impression he's doing just as much drugs as they are. Yeah. But he is amazing at his job. Like, he's able to reconstruct this, and he's kind of like this, uh, you know, disturbed psychological genius profiler. Yeah. Which I didn't buy at all, because Tom Sizemore does not portray genius-level anything. He's more of a, just a crazy madman. Oh, yeah, for sure. And, and then he shows up to the drugstore Mm-hmm. Like just on an alarm. Mm-hmm. Like this dude goes around this this area, this whole region of the country, right. like responding to random alarms. Right? Did he just happen to get super lucky and catch <sighs> these people? Well, I mean, they did leave a pretty wide swath of destruction. Uh huh. So it's like it's like trying to fall an F five tornado. I don't think he had to go to every fucking drug zone in the Southwest to find them, you know? Yeah, but it's just a did random you, alarm. Did you know. recognize the young Indian? Speaking of I the... I did. Jeremiah yeah. Bitsui. Right. Who? Which, if you don't know, is what best known for getting his throat slit on uh, Breaking Bad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, like, sat up straight and was like, oh, my God, that's fucking Victor. I you fucking... Tell. Yeah. I, I, I paused it and went to IMDb. Like, he... <laughs> Same here. Man, and what's so funny is like in the converse, many conversations I had with that guy, it never came up that he was in Natural Born Killers. I think he might have told me that. Did he? Because I, I would have had a million remember. fucking questions about what it was like to work on. Because that was one of the trippier sets. You're yeah. a kid, right? Like, how much of what was going on did you know? Yeah, that these people are on mushrooms and yeah. they're tripping out. Yeah. Uh, and you know, I I guess at the time it wouldn't have occurred to him that he's working with like Woody Harrelson, right? Because like even Woody Harrelson wasn't like that was kind of pretty early in his career. Like it was almost immediately post post Cheers, I think. Mm, I think you're right. Yeah. And Juliette Lewis had been in California and a couple like you know the National Lampoon, and obviously Tommy Lee Jones mm-hmm. is a pretty big name. Um, Robert Downey Jr. I don't even know if you like Robert Downey Jr. Clearly, he was a big. I mean, in the '80s, he was. Big, yeah, yeah, but, yeah. But yeah. then, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I would, I would, I would, I would love to know, like, if you had any 
because he probably doesn't remember, and they compartmentalized him heavily, and probably he kept they kept him away from the madness. <laughs> I would hope so. But like how Blaze was, um, you know, uh, Oliver Stone during the making of this movie. Oh, I mean, him and Woody must have just. I mean, it must have been a hot box the whole set. Oh yeah, and and also the you know, I mentioned this movie has three thousand edits. Yeah. And it was composed uh, by Trent. The music was composed by Trent Reznor, and he did the, the soundtrack. Holy shit! What was the post production like on this movie? Like three thousand mm. fucking cuts. It must have taken forever. Oh my god! And some of them are just like microseconds. And they did, did they they did custom uh, animation. Mm-hmm. Did you notice that? Because I thought some of it was just like they were recycling anime, but no, those were actually cartoon depictions of Woody Harrelson and Juliette Lewis oh, wow. losing their fucking minds. <laughs> so they had like custom animation, they had custom mm-hmm. music, they had three that they 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 cut a two hour movie like it was a fucking music video. Yeah. Did you watch the director's edition or the reggae? I watched the regular one. I did too because I, I was. It only like, has like three extra minutes. It's not. And I guess it's all stuff that the MPAA f- made them cut, or they'd get an NC seventeen rating. Okay. Uh, which so now I kind of want the next time I'll probably watch the director's edition. Tom Sizemore from, takes off the G string. Yeah, the banana <laughs> hammock comes off. Um, but I'm like, I wonder. Also, I'm very curious about whether they cut out sex or violence. Yeah, because if I know my MPAA, I bet it's sex. Yeah, probably. Uh, I don't know because he. I, anyway, I don't want to go on my standard rant about that. Um, what else do we want to talk about? I feel like there's a bunch of stuff. Can we talk about Tommy Lee Jones? Okay. You want to talk he about makes a, this movie for me? Do you want to talk about a man who has been ravaged by twenty years, and not even that? I'm, because I'm like he to was see where you're going with like, this. Did he did he check out from this movie and then go stake his face out in New Mexico for fifteen <laughs> years? Because he looked like a recognizable human being in this movie, and then by by No Country for Old Men ter- time, what's that? Ten years later, yeah. He I think it was the two face makeup. He's something from the dark fucking crystal. And the two face makeup did it to him. Well, like you, they just there was a process by which. Sorry, the makeup's just. Gonna they do actually this spilled to you. literal acid on him, and then he's like, "Well, fuck it, that's half my face. It's just balancing out." I'm Tommy Lee Jones. Do you, <laughs> can you explain to me the difference between his character in this movie and his I, de- depiction of Two Face? I can't. I think this is how he got the job. Which came first? I'm pretty sure Batman, Batman Forever was, came first. No, it was one year later, 95. Oh, okay, because he essentially, yeah, you're right. He essentially played Two-Face in this movie. Like, yeah. I couldn't get over how Two-Face it all was. It, but it was amazing. Like, it was, it, I, I think for me, Tommy Lee Jones is the best part of this movie. Yeah. He's hilarious. Yeah. Like, when he, I mean, he is just, he's a lunatic, and he's always... I love how he's always, like, threatening people with these nose pinchers. Like, uh-huh. this is the worst yeah. fate possible. Yeah. If you're in fucking prison, you're worried about getting shanked every day. You're not... You got nose pinchers. The warden's got nose Then pinchers. he, like, twines them shut so you can't pry them <laughs> right. open. Like, it's really and crazy. And you can see him every once in a while. He's in the background. He's just going to town, just digging in his nose. I know. And here's the thing, like, I felt like he showed up on set and was like, ah, this is a movie. I'm going to just chew the fucking scenery. And he shows up and he's like... God damn it. Tom Sizemore, Woody Harrelson, Robert Downey Jr., they're all doing rails of coke. I'm going to have to step. And he's still like it was a a scene-eating competition. 
It was. It was like Nathan's hot dog eating thing, and like you just showed up, and like oh, the you thought you're going to s- scoot by with twenty <laughs> hot dogs, and turns out the record's fifty seven, and you just gotta. <laughs> you're standing next to Joey Chestnut and Kobayashi, <laughs> yeah. and you're like, what the fuck? Yeah. All right, yeah. If this is how it's gonna be, I'm gonna break him and dunk him and start shoving it at my. <laughs> it was amazing. It was so crazy. Yeah, and I couldn't help but notice he essentially has Ace Ventura's haircut too. <laughs> yeah, he you're definitely not wrong. does. You're not wrong. Which just puts it over the top for me. But uh, his line about uh, what is it? I think he finds out about the riot or something, and he he says Jesus Harold Christ on a rubber crutch. Uh-huh. I don't even know what that means, uh-huh. but it's amazing. I've never heard Jesus' middle name being Harold before. I mean, it's was nice. it rubber it's, crutch? I don't know. Was what it is, rubber cross? No, rubber it was cross. Crutch. Would make more I sense. had the I had the closed captioned on. Okay, because I could hardly tell what he was saying. Ah, I don't know. He's amazing. There's also, do you know the comedian Stephen Wright? He played this Dr. Reingold. Mm-hmm. It was kind of a throwaway scene, and I thought oh, they were going to yeah, build yeah. him into something bigger, and or that he was going to get murdered because he was talking a lot of shit about him. But like, I didn't. Man, I, I want to see this movie, this movie again so so badly because I feel like there's a lot of connections that are there to be made, and I just was so overwhelmed that I, I couldn't I couldn't get it. Uh, the other thing about Tom Sizemore's character is he wrote a book called Skagnetti on Skagnetti. So it's yeah. him writing about himself, which yep. I guess is just a bio- autobiography, but I I felt like there was a lot of ego involved in that. No, he's like, um, like what if McNulty on The Wire had started doing coke mushrooms and started writing books and then choking prostitutes to get into the mind of his killer? Mm-hmm. Like he stopped at fake, he stopped at faking a serial killer and actually became one. Mm-hmm. It's 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 weird his little cult of personality because that. Does that really exist? Is there like books you can buy on renegade cops? I imagine so. I've read a few books I mean, about the police officers written, but they're mostly like rethinking the you know. Of course, this is my interest: oh. rethinking the war the war on drugs and the way policing is done and the militarization of police. I've never read like a you know essentially like a, a glorification of a dirty hairy type, right? Like an Elmore Leonard auto style autobiography, yeah. Or something. Like like Le- a re- but it's real, you know. Yeah. Like I'm, you know, you well, Elmore see, Leonard Elmore. Leonard, I, yeah, Elmore Leonard. No, I still feel like I'm getting it wrong. <laughs> Either way, I say it. Uh, what do you think of Tommy Lee Jones screaming "Batanga, Batanga, Batanga" for like a whole scene? <laughs> Incredible. And I didn't know, like, I I, I... I thought I was losing my mind. I did, too. And I'm like, I was doing research, and I'm like, I guess that's the name of the prison they're at, uh-huh. which made sense. But, like, in that moment, I'm like, he's just lost his mind. <laughs> he's gibbering. I don't know. Uh, the other thing is, I thought, during the whole point, the, the whole prison escape sequence is what a rocking haunted house that would make. Oh, man. And then yeah. I'm like, does that make me part of the problem? Am I now glorifying this culture? Because I thought, I thought like, if you could find an abandoned prison somewhere and do all that garish lighting and have like everybody like wasted in their cells and have some Tommy, you know, some uh, some Woody Harrelson guys with their head shaved running through with fake guns and stuff, like that would be a truly frightening, surreal experience. Uh, yeah, I think so. And there's got to be a lot of abandoned prisons in this country that you could set up shop in. Are they abandoned or are they stuffed to the gills? There's got to be some abandoned ones. I mean, like... Probably. Fucking... Uh, Alcatraz. Alcatraz. The most famous prison in the, the country is abandoned. They it's should do it. It's a museum now. Yeah. Have an Alcatraz Halloween thing starring yeah. Woody Harrelson. <laughs> it's $10,000 a ticket. And Tommy Lee Jones. <laughs> Only uh, if I can run through with Tommy Lee Jones. 
Well, get it while you can. That face is this close to just <laughs> flaking off and blowing away, yeah. like the end of a Indiana Jones movie. Yep. Indiana Tommy Lee Jones. He chose the wrong grail. Right at right sometime in the late nineties, Tommy Lee Jones chose the wrong grail, and that's what happened. Uh you mentioned the soundtrack earlier. I was actually super impressed by it. It's got a, just a ton of music that mm-hmm. I really like. Um it personally. also like I it it felt very Tarantino, like with the mm-hmm. off kilter kind of rockabilly deep cut soundtrack. Yeah, some of it. So I mean some of it's just like I was surprised at who they could get. Like, I can't believe they uh-huh. got Rage Against the Machine uh-huh. on there. They're yeah. very, like, anti-establishment, and uh-huh. I, I don't know how they did that. Maybe it's Trent. Maybe he knew, like... I bet Zach De La Roche is a big JFK fan. Maybe. I maybe bet, I bet be, he's a pretty yeah. big Oliver Stone fan. Maybe it's just a Oliver Tommy Stone's pretty fan. anti-establishment. It's true, but, like, this is a big but Hollywood he's making production. A big, yeah, Come on. with big Hollywood <laughs> stars, right? Yeah. Well, that's the whole thing, like... I thought that was interesting, like the scene with Robert Downey Jr. where he's talking about he's ingratiating himself with the, with uh, Woody Harrelson, and he's like, "Oh, you know, this warden is just wiping the Constitution clean, and mm-hmm. and they're do they're going to brainwash you, and and where's the justice, and where's the the fa-? like, um, I don't know, like I struggled because like he's articulating a lot of things I say, like I don't. I'm I'm I think that you know you shouldn't brutalize criminals and you should have some kind of working system of justice and it shouldn't be all a bunch of vigilante batman shit. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand when you're confronted it's it's almost like the exceptions are the temptation is to make rules based on exceptions like if you see a guy like Woody Harrelson and he's such a just a wreck of a human being and there's no way you can probably help him. Mm-hmm. Like you kind of it's weird. What am I? Where am I trying trying to go with this? Not sure. Try to say is like a lot of these arguments. Um, it's it's weird to hear a guy like uh, Robert Downey Jr. spouting them out of his mouth for very cynical reasons. Okay, gotcha. And it's like, does it make you feel uncomfortable about your own opinions because of how kinda. they're being? Yeah, espoused? yeah. It definitely makes me reflective and thinking about like what. Am I silly? Like, when I say this about criminals, am I mm. sounding stupid or naive, or is that a real conviction I have? And I guess I guess that's treating a person like, like if you put Jeffrey Dahmer in a jail cell for the rest of his life, and hopefully you don't let him get killed by a bunch of fucking inmates, but that seems like it's an act of societal self-discipline. Like, the easy thing and the pleasurable thing would just be to draw and quarter this guy that kept people's heads in refrigerators and, and did all this vile stuff and like just take him to the uh, 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 downtown and pull his guts out and everybody feels good about it and like everybody cheers. But mm-hmm. like by by adhering to a rigid system of justice, it's like this this self-discipline that we have as a society. It's like we're not fucking animals. Rise above it, right. Yeah, like even like it's the ext- it's it's these extremes that do test us. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's not and you know, uh, but I know there's definitely people that because of things like Jeffrey Dahmer or Charles Manson and the fact that they're still you know like that these some of these people are still alive and they take a lot of taxpayer money. It's like you know people are like well we should we'd save our you know my dad always says that it's like China's got it right they spend twenty five cents the like the cost of a bullet to kill the guy and then they build their family. <laughs> Like that's definitely a vibe that's that, like works? I think what I'm trying to get is like I feel like some people think that brutalizing criminals is a feature and mm-hmm. not a bug of the system. Hmm. Okay. Like when you say brutalize, what do you mean? 
I mean, just, I mean... Uh, like, put them in harsh conditions to live in? Like, kind of, kind I think of create it covers an environment the Like, where... if you deprive a person of their due process and rights, that's a form of brutalization, but also okay. just, I wasn't like... sure if you were talking about, like, death penalty or... Or, or encompassing more than that. No, like like okay. inhuman prison conditions. Like if you put three people gotcha. in, or if you put a person in uh, solitary confinement for years on end, that's brutal too. Or, yeah, you know you have a you have a you have you you have a system that is unsafe for people, and people get raped and murdered in. That's right. also brutality. Okay. Uh. But it's yeah, weird I mean, because I, you could almost do anything to Woody Harrelson's character, and like, okay, well, he's the worst of the worst, so right. maybe that's not a bad thing. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know, I don't know where I I fall on that particular idea because you know I'm not I'm not in any position to deal with those kind of problems. Yeah, um, maybe I should be more informed, but I'm not, so I, I probably will abstain from commenting on it. Yeah, this is something I was thinking a lot about, like seeing seeing my views being espoused and kind of perverted in a way. It's like I was like, oh man, and also it's like I guess a glimpse into how maybe I would sound in various contexts of various people. Yeah, but I mean, he is also cynically saying these things. He obviously doesn't believe them in any way. Well, that's all the he's thing. doing is trying to get him to agree to an interview. So, like, when we got, let's take this into something else. Like, we got you know enemy combatants that are sawing our soldiers' heads off. Mm-hmm. Um, does that give us license to go Abu Ghraib on them, or is it more important that we observe the scruples of the rules when we're faced with these intolerable situations? Yeah, I mean, certainly those are the tests. I agree. Like, um, like you've got sim- simultaneously an enemy that will decry your abuse of their human rights while they're sawing your head off, right? But I guess I feel like that's important to still like that's even more important to obs- uh, to observe the the rules in those situations than. I mean, do I am I am I crazy to feel that way? Uh, no, I don't think so. Okay, I think you'd be crazy if you decided you were going to go vigilante and start killing but you know people. what i mean like the cynical the cynical manipulation of the rules of society is not a reason to not observe them like just because some they can be abused and and you know they can result in being quote-unquote soft on crime or letting guilty people go like i don't think that's a re that's that's not a flaw in the system that's just being overly cautious because depriving people of their life and liberty is supposed to be the worst thing you can do to someone so you better be pretty fucking sure about it, and you should go about it in as restrained and civil way as you can. Yeah, I mean, Wayne Wayne Gale is a man who, before the prison riot, was two seconds away from killing someone. I mean, he was going to kill his video editor in the booth, probably. Like, you, mm. you, like, this is a man whose values should not be taken seriously in any context, whether he's cynically espousing them or not. Yeah. No, it just uh, feels like when I see an idiot saying something that I would say, it makes me feel bad. Okay. Or when I see a hypocrite saying, like, there's a lot. That's, that's understandable. That's yeah. why it's like I always feel dirty when I get really involved in politics, which is almost all the time nowadays, mm-hmm. because, like, I have to recognize there there's giant rafters sticking out of my own side's eyes. And, you know, they they do hypocritical manipulations of the rules, and they cry foul when the other side does it, and it just makes me feel gross. Yeah, I mean, sometimes it's not... It's not necessarily about what you're saying, but how you're saying it, like mm. what your intent is. Sure. Um, and I, I think, right. yeah, clearly the intent here is just to coerce an interview. Right. Whereas when you're saying these things, you 
you have thought about them and believe them in a way that Robert Downey Jr., that Wayne Gale will never. And how they interact with society holistically rather than just individual case to get ahead personally. Yeah, yeah I guess. What what was going through Robert Downey Jr.'s character's mind during the... Like, you mentioned that he's just, like, one nudge away from being a serial killer himself. Like, it, it was so weird that he kind of thought that he'd become one of the band in that little thing. Yeah. Uh... uh and I wasn't sure quite what the point with that was as well. And like also why Woody Harrelson's like, well, you don't mean it, you know, essentially. You're you're not really a serial killer. You're just a wannabe, or you're just uh you're just all about the ratings. Right. And I almost feel like but what, he that, was trying to in some ways, like Oliver Stone is trying to equate the irresponsible media with the very perpetrators of these crimes, right? And obviously the crime is not as severe. Like getting people in a frenzy about a news story is nowhere near as severe as going on a mass murder spree. But, well, but, is but, it? But it is, it is enabling in a certain way. And Robert Downey Jr. going over to the other side here, I feel, is just commentary on how closely those two things are linked. Because I, I, I'm like, when I think of journalists that, like, I, I've seen a lot of people, like, in these different talk shows or their journalists are being interviewed or talking with other journalists and they say things like, yes, it's, I do think one thing we could all do is stop putting, you know, let's stop, stop glorifying these criminals by stop releasing their names and stop releasing their photos. And yet none of them do it. Right. I'm like, I mean, yeah, like a guy, if you're a journalist that gives the name and photograph of a guy that shoots up a movie theater, you're not as bad as the guy that shoots up the movie theater. But if you are involved in this constant over the course of your career, misinformation and glorification campaign, like collectively, does it ever get to a point where bad journalism, you know, like I do believe that we are like we in, for the last two decades we have been uh you know and this is a constant feedback cycle we as society said we don't want serious journalism we want journalism to tell us the things we want to hear right. we want things we want we want them to cover the things that we're interested in which is scandal and celebrity and not things are big and now we're we're kind of all paying for it because we've got this huge and we we've been neglecting education and now we're presiding over an increasingly just dumb world like it's it's yeah. it's idiotocracy the entire world over, <laughs> right. and is that not like what kind is that not a crime against humanity? Well, I, to flush so, a whole generation of people down the toilet. Here's for here's for the, ratings. Here's one of one of the many differences between the purveyors of these stories and the actual perpetrators. Uh, the perpetrators don't give the people a choice; they kill them. The purveyors of these stories, you can tune out. You can say you can vote with your eyeballs and say I'm not I'm not going to engage in this, right. and their ratings will drop. They will have no incentive to do it, and therefore they will have to change their strategy. Like that's on you to a certain degree. Whereas being murdered is not on you. <laughs> being no, murdered is something that just happens to you. So does the scale ever outweigh the severity? Uh, like for example, right? Like, I mean, like a Bernie Madoff type of thing, right? Like, or not any of that. Like, let's say that you are dumping chemicals knowingly into river, right? That's polluting the shit out of it. Like, no, you didn't murder eighteen people, but you slightly increased the risk of cancer for an entire town: women, children, yeah, elderly people, grown ass adults, whatever. Mm-hmm. Does this like, yeah, that's like that's we and we treat that differently in the penal system but like uh, what point does the scale of the atrocity 
you know, overwhelm the severity of like stealing money from rich people. Not that big, I guess is not as bad as blowing someone's brains out in the square. But Mm -hmm. if you steal an entire company's pension, sure. uh, Or if you manipulate energy prices to defraud people and they die in heat waves or cold snaps, like, isn't that mass murder? Oh yeah. I mean, uh, so those are all things where the people, the victims can't opt out. Right. Like, but that's you what I'm saying. Say... If, if all of society is putting out this fog of bullshit, mm-hmm. can you accurately say that you can opt out of that? I mean, you are you are part yeah, responsible no. for creating the society. Uh, that's, uh, the bottom line is like, yes, we do have the freedom to make mistakes and to be ignorant and to be informed and and what we can choose our own definitions for all those things too. So I I I, and I, I do think those things are reprehensible. I, I, obviously, I think. If you knowingly dump a bunch of chemicals that are toxic to people into a water source that is used by those people, then fuck you. I I almost view you as a murderer. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't see a a meaningful difference there. Mm -hmm. Um, If you are simply reporting news in a sensationalist sort of way, I don't think it ever gets to the point where where you could be considered the same as the, the person committing the crimes. Yeah. It's yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I mean, that's just my opinion. A, yeah, I'm advancing I, an opinion. I don't truly believe either. I, I but I also, <laughs> it's like sometimes there's like a germ of an argument to be had there. Oh sure, over I think the it's long term, to yeah. the degrad, you know, the 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 not, you know, taking education and journalism and informing people seriously, and you know, no, uh, you gotta you gotta you gotta take this as seriously as your obligation to inform people as you do your obligation to entertain them. Mm-hmm. But I mean, the, uh, on some I level, rest... go ahead. What what do you what do you do if you're you know Edward Murrow or whatever, right. and then fucking TMZ comes along and they right. I know I know these are not in the same era at sure. all, but like if he's doing his journalistic thing and then TMZ comes along and just gobbles up all the ratings, people start tuning out of his show and into theirs, and a whole bunch of other TMZs come along. No, like, yeah. What do you do? You're I know. you're out. And they're in, and I can and see these guys like do. I have to allow a little bit of sexification or celebrity worship, start making compromise, or, right. or squirrels, you know, water skiing behind motorboats to mm. get the serious stuff done because that's what pays the bills. And eventually, the serious stuff goes down the drain as well because right the opportunity cost and at I some point. I, like, I wonder that a lot of times doing podcasts. Like, I have twin obligations here. Like, you right. know, I have, uh, to the extent that I have some kind of pulpit, should I not try to, you know, speak what I consider well-informed opinions and facts out? But then when I do, people tell me, shut up. I'm just, you know, I'm just trying, I'm trying to get by and be entertained and you're bringing me down or you're telling me something that I don't believe and like, like fuck me. I don't know what to do. Right. Much rather, much much less if I'm Dan Rather or Chris Matthews or it was, it Shepard was, Smith or whoever you want to mention. I, I want to say intentionally offensive that Gail has won an Edward R. Murrow award. <laughs> like they mentioned that. Right. Uh, along with a couple other awards for American maniacs. Uh, but l- let me ask you this. Do you think do you think it's uh, Stone's intention to indict more the public or more the media in in this particular movie? Well, I mean, that's the other thing, I guess, about the movies of this type is that Mm -hmm. there is no clear call to action because it's like we're all the problem. 
Yeah, I was, I was going to say, I, I think and as it's true an as that indictment is, of both, I don't, honestly. I, yeah, I don't know that it's hel- – I, I don't know. What are you supposed to take away? We're all assholes? Because that's almost like if everyone's assholes, then that kind of gives cover mm-hmm. for everybody. Like, well, I change because it's like, well, I'm not the – you know, I'm not the proverbial slowest camper that's going to be eaten by the bear. So it's not right. It's not important to be the best and the most righteous. It's important to be the co- and you know, it's so funny watching this because um, the other thing I'm doing is a marathon in the wire mm-hmm. and seeing like this juxtaposed with that because that's another thing I have a problem I guess with David Simon is that there's a lot of like a pox on all houses. So what do you do? Okay, you know, what do you yeah. do with this information? What machine do you rage against? Because the machine is us. Um, I think it's all inter- you know. I think David Simon would say, "Well, you can't. You just can't trust institutions. You have to. This all has to happen at street level, and we have to change. Hmm. You know, we have to watch out for each other as neighbors, and all politics are local." And he's probably right, but you know, at the end of this movie, I'm sitting and I'm like stunned. I'm like literally like, "Whew!" I just you know, I'm all like sweaty and <laughs> my my heart's palpitating and my eyes are dilated, and I'm like, "What? What do I take away from this?" And I'm not not quite sure. Yeah. Because it's weird. It's also like, um, you know, 1984 is such an important work, but what it means today is different than what it meant when he originally pinned it. Like the threats to free speech and democracy are not what he was thinking when he wrote the book, mm. but it's still relevant. And I felt like that that, that the world did not become what I think Oliver Stone feared. Yeah, but it also became something you know, like he he, he was involved with Snowden. Like that's something that's kind of even more horrifying and, right. and crazy. And the fact that we would get into celebrity worship and that would distract us from real issues, not make us all like bloodthirsty Roman Colosseum goers, but just sure. just, just just tickle our ears and put us to sleep. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's that's just as scary and horrifying. I don't know. It'd be cool to think what. I would I would wonder what he thinks about the movie and his legacy. Yeah. Jesus, that'd be an interesting interview. <laughs> he'd probably not he'd be like, you know, what do you think? And oh, yeah. spark a bowl and start right. talking about it. I don't and know. smash your cell phone on the ground. <laughs> yeah, because I don't know if he's the type of that would like because uh, I got from the interview that I saw of him about Snowden is he's not so interested in like explaining things and he's more interested in like what people take away organically. Mm-hmm. It's one of those fucking creative types. <laughs> What do you think that Oliver Stone thinks about the nonsense patter that Woody Harrelson spouts in his review about, you know, I am evolved and from my perspective, you're an ape and my instant of purity is worth your lifetime of lies. And it, it reminds me a lot of like Kevin Spacey's dialogue in Seven. Mm-hmm. Like the person writing this, like well, when Oliver Stone's writing this or when Quentin Tarantino's writing is it, does he believe it? Is this part of the parody? Is like is this like a certain? Is this true from a certain point of view? Are these supposed to be the ravings of a mad person? And 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 also like, there's two views of it. There's the in universe view, and then there's also me watching the thing unfold kind of view. I always mm-hmm. think that like when someone's writing a really killer serial killer speech, what the hell is going into that? Are they are they hoping that people are like, oh yeah, that kind of makes sense, and then they catch themselves or what? Yeah, that's a really good question because I so I'm I'm always confused and flustered by these scenes because I don't believe anything that these people are saying, and yet I have to I have to take them seriously in this moment as a character, right? Well, like, and there is the, the thing that always fucks with me as a person who was a conservative Christian up until yeah. the last decade is the 
the the truth is the universe really doesn't care. Oh, sure. If yeah. you're Woody Harrelson or you're you know fucking paragon of virtue, like right. It it doesn't really care. There's nothing intrinsically more valuable about preserving life or destroying life. Like there's there is no objective morality or ethics. So like from his point of view, I guess what he could be saying is he's truth. Like it's his truth. But like sure. On the other hand, you know, it, it does feel like in my gut there's not a rhetorical leg to stand on because the, I guess the thing is if everyone lived like this, it would it would literally mean the extinction of the human species, which, again, the universe wouldn't give a shit about. Sure, yeah. Uh, and that's the thing. I mean, he's taking advantage of all sorts of things mm-hmm. in in the world that are created by the society we've developed, right? Right. And if people actually went along with the things he's saying and believed them wholeheartedly and acted on it, there wouldn't be a society to take advantage of. You would literally be out in the forest on your own, out on the tundra, on the plains, like fighting for your life at every step of the way. Yeah. And I don't think he would like to live like that. I don't think anybody would like to live like that. It's why society exists. Right. Is to, to help us live better lives. And I, that's the thing that I always come back to with these these sorts of speeches is they are entirely without the context. Mm-hmm. They are missing the context of their lives mm-hmm. uh, when they they say like, oh, the universe doesn't give a shit so I can do whatever I want. No, no. You wouldn't be living as good of a life as you want to live if the universe didn't give a shit and that was all that mattered. What's really interesting about the human condition – one of the many things that are interesting about the human condition is that, you know, we're a product of evolution and we've mm-hmm. evolved to be the fittest organisms uh, and, and we've been rewarded by being, you know, kind of ruthless and like for whatever reason are, are built in xenophobia and fear of the other and, you know, wanting to fuck and eat and satiate and, and be more uncomfortable and more lazy. Like that's an evolutionary advantage and a good thing. Mm-hmm. It's it's led us to putting a man on the moon. Like at what? But at what point does it become maladaptive? Right. You know I'm saying when it's like it everything about our evolution has led us to be these fucking bloodthirsty, sexed up apes. Mm-hmm. And at one at some point, we're like, I mean, it must have been a rough life for the first person that like stopped and like, you know, should we really club each other just because they want the watering hole and that? Like, what if we just should, like? It must have really sucked to be the guy in eight thousand BC that like the first person is like, you know, do we have to kill each other every single time something doesn't that guy get their got way? Clubbed to death. He got fucking killed immediately. <laughs> he did that gene pool. So how how do we have this 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 era that we live in? Like, every time I think the world is really going to shit, I reflect about we're living in an era. Where the powerful and strong, by purely altruistic arguments, have voluntarily relinquished power to the weaker people. Like, I know it doesn't happen universally. Yeah, so I I, I think back to, like, it, obviously not around at this time, but, uh-huh. uh, you know, when, when we are a very tribal species and yeah. we are... Like, literally fighting for our lives every day, and you have to take down an animal that's more dangerous than you, uh-huh. right? Like, t- taking down a tiger doesn't happen mono a tiger. Right. It happens mono and mono a tiger. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> you 
you distract the tiger on one side and another person comes in from behind and kills it. Or right. like, and then you realize, oh, oh, by cooperating, I'm actually to, able to to better uh, help myself. I do something you know? that I couldn't have done by myself alone. Right. And now I eat and now I'm safe. And like that sense of cooperation gets ingrained in you too. And I think society is a natural evolutionary thing. But see how it boils everything down almost too utilitarian. Like, oh, but I... But the animals do it too, right? It's not like... like Plenty of species are very tribal, like wolves hunt in packs. Like you look at apes, they're very much the same as we are in that respect. They have societies. Mm-hmm. Like that's beneficial yeah. from an evolutionary standpoint. It's not very romantic to essentially say the reason we're extending rights to people that previously didn't have is because essentially we've identified areas where we're inefficient in the allocation of human capital. Inefficient in allocation of human capital. What do you What do you mean? Well, are like, you talking modern day? Or are you talking? I'm talking like, like yeah, like modern day. Like okay. it's all well and good to kill a tiger if you team up with your buddy, but I'm talking about right. like you know um, giving women a say in society. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't. It's, I'd it's, say mutually beneficial. For it's mutually everyone. beneficial because yeah, because essentially it's like well, if you say a woman can't be a scientist, what happens if you have a really smart woman and you're saying, well, fuck you, get back in the kitchen and 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 uh, you know do the laundry and the cooking? Well, you're wasting a brilliant science it's it's a right. misallocation it's never like and when you know um like you outlaw slavery part of that was obviously a lot of people saying this is wrong man you can't enslave human beings but also i think it's an uncomfortable fact that that was probably on its way out anyway like the industrial mm-hmm. age was making to where that's not you know the, the traditional use uh, of slave labor it's like there's also it, it, I, I guess what I'm saying is like there's always this kind of nagging. I always try to look at things of like, oh, people are advancing because it's the right thing to do, but <laughs> under the surface, it's almost cases. always a utilitarian argument because otherwise you would never yeah, stop. Yeah. You never start beating each other the club until someone figures out, hey, if we beat the tigers instead, right? <laughs> look at what we can do. Yeah, you know, it's never like, hey, it's not wrong. It's 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 just a priori wrong to beat people with clubs. It's like it's just a mis it's a misallocation of human resource. But I think maybe like where it flips in on itself is when, you know, you become. I don't know if it ever does because I think there are always people who are going to want more, and those people will, I think, exploit the people who maybe are you know, dumber or lazier or whatever, uh-huh. the, the, this this kind of public that Oliver Stone is getting at uh-huh. here, um, they will exploit them into doing their bidding and push push society, you know, maybe not maybe not forward in positive ways, but forward nonetheless. Like they will continue to expand humanity to mm-hmm. to be ever more productive, to create more things, like I don't know that even if 95% of the people get so lazy that they're barely able, so fat and happy, you know, that they're Mm -hmm. barely even able to function, that that actually slows down society as a whole. Well, but that's the thing, I guess, the worry sometimes I have is, like, society, there's nothing that says that you got this arrow of progress that points one way. It's more like a pendulum because you get Uh the more, as you say, fat and happy and egalitarian society gets, the more vulnerable it is to the 5% wolf population that wants to come in and take advantage of that ignorance and softness to – you know, fleece everything, and and and, and I think as long as to to their to their betterment, not societies, right? Definitely, but but that does you know, ever forward, uh, the evolution of humanity will march, right? It right. doesn't go backwards. There's no such thing as backwards in evolution. So, like, 
it will continue to evolve and whether it shrinks or whether it grows, I think like us as a species, I've it, all, I, I think it, you know, it's going to continue to evolve until we either kill ourselves or, or it just won't stop until well, the heat I guess that's universe. what I thought is like, like I, I've been thinking a lot about whether society, is it just always going to pendulum? Does the pendulum ever moderate and it slows down and we're eventually going to reachieve a center are we going to be able to like unify as a globe? And then what happens if we have a star base on Mars? And are the Martians a bunch of fucking weirdos? And their bones are all birdie, and you know their their right. hearts are three times their size, and like a bunch of fucking weird Martians. And or and will that kickstart it all over again? Fuck, I don't I don't know. Yeah, I don't know because you're right. The un there the 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 it, progress means nothing in to, in a universal term. Sure. Like, it's just change. It's constant change, yeah. and whether it, it, it's good or bad, the universe doesn't care. It's going to work itself out, and yeah. it's up. I guess it's up to us. I mean, yeah, personally, I'm pushing for the good changes, the changes yep. that benefit everyone. But... It's up to us to champion not ignorance and and the truth and, and beauty and love, because sure as shit, the universe isn't going to. Uh, One more question for you. Okay. Batonga, you... Batonga, Batonga, Batonga. <laughs> what did you make answer. of all of the movie scenes that kind of play in the background? Yeah, while, the rear projection shit. Yeah, brilliant. Uh, is it is it simply a reflection of of their mental state at any given moment? Yeah, because I I think that it's so hard to put yourself into the mindset of these people because we're normal. We we you know haven't had like you know maybe we've had some trauma, but very few people listening to this podcast are going to have as traumatic a beginning as uh, mm, right. Juliette Lewis and Woody Harrelson in this movie. Um, and also they're on drugs. So like when he, when he's rear projecting the word demon on them yeah. in the Indian's hut, like to me that is both a reflection of their inner mental state and their own paranoia and drug addledness, um, and a way that yeah. you can't conf- like like you could show them in real life just drooling like idiots with their eyes wide open, but putting that rear projection stuff, like you said, yeah, it gives you a better view into what their characters are thinking and feeling. Is there? I was trying to put it in context of like the media, in in like throughout this film, and I I never successfully was able to figure out if there was an added layer of message there or an added layer of meaning aside from just what they're thinking. Um, is I was I was trying to figure out if there maybe he was Oliver Stone saying, you know, the media is also a culprit in creating these people. Um, because they've seen these images on TV of all this violence and things like that. And I, I just, I don't think the connection is necessarily there to be made, but it's something that was running through my head. But I know for a fact that Oliver Stone and the producers of this movie were sued by a victim's family. Cause there was um, a, a teenage couple in like Tennessee or something. No oh boy. That went on a spree of violence that they said <laughs> was inspired by this movie. Wow. Now, I never find that, like, I think if you create a piece of art that, I mean, it's one thing if you say, hey, let's rise up and identify population X and kill them all. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like one thing to incite violence, but if you're making a piece of art that is, especially in this case, where it's, um, it's a deconstruction of our society. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I I just never find it compelling that, like, the the reason that these people did this is because they're crazy. Yeah. And they've got a chromosome loose or they got a brain chemistry malfunction or they're just yep. born bad or whatever. Society failed them. It's not because Oliver Stone made a fucking movie. That's the excuse. It's not the reason. Right. 
and I'm a hundred percent with you on that. That is my view of it. But like, if I ever he- I, if I ever heard of story, like I've never heard a story where like a guy like you sees a movie and just goes and fucking kills people. It's right, always like, right. oh, they were an outcast and they were abused as kids, and they're you know, it's like I, like, I mean, I guess the closest thing you come is like maybe the Columbine kids because weren't they? Well, they listened to Marilyn Manson though, so definitely. Well, then they played Doom and, and all that stuff. And <laughs> but whatever, like, I listened to Marilyn Manson. I was an angsty teen. That's what I was saying. Uh, so that's the thing. Like I, like if, if if playing Doom caused you to shoot up your high school, there should have been millions of high schools shot up. Yeah, no, I I agree with you, hundred percent. I don't think like it's it's GTA argument all over again. You know, right. like oh, you're gonna have just mass carjackings and killings and no of course not uh but it does cause some people who maybe have problems already to act out uh here's the thing i viewed this movie very differently when i was a kid uh Hmm. when i was 17 watching it you know i i saw this movie and i was in the mental state that you talked about before it came crashing down where i was just engrossed in in these characters in the violence of it all in in the swagger of this movie and uh-huh. somewhat like in the glorification of these people. And, and I thought it was just a cool ass movie, right? Like right. now I look at it very, very differently. So I could see like teenagers looking at this movie and getting something entirely different from it mm. than what Oliver Stone is actually trying to say with it. Yeah, no, but I don't, and I'm not saying that excuses anything or, it, or that's even the, the catalyst, or for just it? like Fight Club, we talked about that. Like the message same, of Fight Club that. is a lot yeah. different than what your average angsty teenage boy gets out of watching it, who's putting quotes on his Facebook profile and all yeah, that. Yeah, me too. Like, like <laughs> completely. Yeah, yeah, but then you know, like saying something's cool, like the fucking Matrix is really cool. But mm-hmm. you know, if someone is really running around a trench coat killing civilians because they thought agents were catching them, like I don't think that's bad to like a movie from that angle. Okay, like this, and like, I, like I Quentin agree. Tarantino, it doesn't make these, you a bad person, right? Like, like these operas of blood and gore and profanity. Like, there yeah. is something kind of grand about them. I but still it's feel also, that way about Pulp Fiction, sure, <laughs> like, or Inglorious Bastards, or right. Django and Chain. Like, let, to a lesser extent, for me, to Hateful Eight. But mm-hmm. you know, at no point I walk out of a movie thinking like this is the how people should live, right? You know. Yeah, I, I don't know. Maybe as a kid, you just get a twist. But I saw, like, I, I was over the break, some someone shared a cracked article where this guy uh, had written an article essentially glorifying the Alec Baldwin speech from Glengarry Glen Ross. Like, and, this like is holding it up as a positive. This example is a truth of... about the universe, and the, the the quicker you get it through, that this is the way the world works. And I'm like, someone didn't fucking get the right message out of this movie, <laughs> like for fucking real. Yeah. Alec Baldwin uh, was a huge asshole in that so movie. So that's what I'm saying. Like, you, you do your best, I guess, in your creator, and you make something with a message. Or maybe not. Like, sometimes, like, I think Quentin Tarantino gets frustrated when he's like, what's the message? He's like, I just think it's cool. And, and, and I'm think, not a bad... I'm not a bad... Like, Quentin Tarantino's right. like, I'm, he's got that famous thing where he got, starts screaming at it. He's like, I'm not a bad or violent person. I've never killed or hurt anybody. Yeah. I just think this is cool. Right. Like, fuck off. Which, yeah. I mean, to, to, a, to a degree, I... Having sure, said that, I, I if, if that, I, I, I will tell you this, this much, like if anyone ever went on a murdering spree because of a cod and said that to media, I'd be fucking mortified. Did. Yeah. I would feel so bad. Sure. Like I would, my thinking self would say you shouldn't feel responsible, but I think I would feel, you know, especially if I'm really down on myself a particular day, I would, I would reflect on that and think, God damn. Yeah. 
But you know, the I reality mean, but the is... same. So you could let's extend that to the media, right? Robert Downey Jr., Wayne Gale comes in and he says, "I'm not a bad guy. I've never killed anybody." Mm-hmm. But you're putting these images on screen. You're showing these things to people who maybe are either becoming desensitized to it and or or glorifying it or yeah. like it's it's the argument about you know the media's responsibility in this whole thing kind of extended to you know art as well right like does quentin tarantino have any responsibility for essentially glorifying this type of shit in pulp fiction and <laughs> all of his movies you know yeah it's a tough question i mean does he have any responsibility cuz he can throw his hands up he can say look i don't kill people yeah. But Gail could do that, too. Well, but then he did. I mean, that's the problem with that character, right? Because right. that character that's 15 why I say minutes so later is, in, yeah. is engaging in an orgy of blood and violence anyway. So right. my, my thought would be like, Robert Downey Jr. was, if it wasn't this thing, it would be something else to slid off the powder keg. Like, right. if it's not Marilyn Manson or playing Doom or listening to... You know, a particularly terrible episode of our Westworld podcast. Something would set if if you go off on a killing spree. No, you are already a fucking you know a ma- you know one jinga pile one jinga away from tumbling down anyway. Yeah, and and what are the odds that you'd make it through your natural life mm-hmm. without setting off that piece? You know, sure. so I don't know. Like, what responsibility do they have? I don't know. I don't feel like respon- artists have responsibility for doing anything but creating art. Right, and I agree with you. I'm just raising the question. But I do, I mean, there's also, like, when you, there's certain situations where, like, I don't, I don't know, like, I guess it's also, like, the merit of that. Like, you know, go back talking about, uh, like, that that one artist that did the piss Christ. Yeah. Where it's literally just a Mason Jarvis piss with with a crucifix of Jesus in it. Uh Is that art? Is that going to do like I you know I'm not I'm not a it Christian. It makes you feel something. <laughs> it makes you feel something, but also is like is that is is what you're trying to do just pissing people off? And is is that valuable as an artist? Like if you draw a, a, a irrelevant, irreverent depiction of uh, Muhammad, uh, I I think it can be certainly right. I don't know that it is necessarily <laughs> right. Like I definitely think it's if if an artist. So I will say this. That it's also the artist's responsibility to own whatever reaction they get. Mm-hmm. Like they can't. Like it always annoys me when an artist gets pissed off that they are facing a like public outcry or economic sanctions by a segment of society that's very angry and upset with the art that they've created. Right. Like you need to be prepared to. I mean, I'm not saying that you should like get round up and and hung, but like if 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 people like are talking, got your name in the street in an angry fashion, mm-hmm. or are not going to your shows or boycotting your, that's 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 also part of the artist contract too. Or you can't fucking whine about it. Y- right. Even like legal ramifications. You know, like we just watched Black Mirror season one, and that first episode. Mm. That's you know that is kind of what it deals with. Um, and this guy clearly did illegal things yeah clearly so he could definitely be arrested and charged and sentenced it's like a little bit like for his art you know yeah, it's almost like where there's the line that the art and civil disobedience crosses like right. you know the, the thing about civil disobedience is you have to be willing to accept the punishment and hope that society yeah. says that's unjust and fixes it mm-hmm. because if society doesn't care then guess what you're gonna be sitting in jail and you've done sh- nothing you just pissed up a rope <laughs> right but and it landed in a mason jar. And yeah, filled then, with then Jesus. A, then a crucifix fell into it accidentally. <laughs> I don't know. It's um, art and media and intersection there of life is is super interesting. And we are looks like we're destined to live in some interesting times, Jim. Yeah. 
Uh, so there's your uh, there's your Natural Born Killers podcast, Amy was and Jason. It? Was it? Did we talk about Natural Born Killers? At least half the time. At least okay. half the time. I, I still think, I, I know you said Tommy Lee Jones is looking like a real human being here. And he is. I mean, more than Tommy Lee Jones ever has mm-hmm. in anything in his life. But I still feel like his face looks like maybe, I don't know, a bag of spaghetti. It's not... <laughs> I think you're. I think Tommy Lee Jones went through a period of like coal miner's daughter till this movie, and he looked like Tommy Lee Jones. And uh-huh. then in the ensuing years between this and yeah. Old Country or No Country for Old Men, he turned into a, a Muppet from The Dark Crystal. And I don't know what to do with that information. Yeah. Uh, uh, I don't know what skincare products he did or did not use. I'm just <laughs> saying that um, it's an unfortunate transformation. Yeah. But then again, he's an old man. Like I, I also think, like I kind of look forward. Do you ever think and fantasize about being like seventy and just not giving a shit, just looking like Tommy Lee Jones? Like I've and not been, to, like I've been to like gyms. You know, like my old, like uh, the old gym I used to go to. There was always these old dudes that would just like be fucking, you know, uh, just just walking around naked. They're okay. flip flops. They're using the fucking hand dryer to, to dry their balls. Uh, mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And their armpits, and they just don't. And their fucking pubes are six inches long, and their balls are swinging down halfway through their knees. They just don't give a shit because who they got to impress. Yeah, like that. That that. Sometimes I think about it, like that's gonna be nice. It's gonna be nice like, to just not give a shit about the the external husk. Yeah, but I feel like that's the the like direct path to death that I have. As soon as I stop <laughs> caring about how I look, the Grim Reaper notices. Well, I I just I I'm obviously gonna just go to shit and mm-hmm. i'm gonna feel terrible and i'm eventually gonna just die from it mm. so so you're not giving a shit about how you look is the the harbinger of yeah of death yeah okay i mean i already like i i sort of give a shit some to most of the time uh-huh. but like once yeah once you have no incentive to like stay fit or trim or uh-huh. like or even you despite your best your effort, your body's with... just falling to shit you know well that'll happen to everyone that's what i'm saying like you know but if you give up on like Staying fit, or at least staying These reasonably guys were at the gym. healthy. I'm not saying these guys were fat and disgusting. They were just old dudes at the gym. They right. had just played racquetball, okay. and they had gotten their heart rate up, and they've got wrinkly ball sacks, and they don't care who sees them. <laughs> okay, that's fair. I- I'm sure at some point in my life it will change from, like, I stay fit so that I can look good. Or, or I stay not. I'm not fit. I'm I'm you're thin. You're, I'm you're, not. You're, I're, I'm not you're, overweight. You're getting by. Right. I'm not. You're I'm not obese. It. I stay not obese <laughs> so that I can look okay. At uh-huh. some point, it might switch to like I stay not obese so that I don't die. <laughs> right. Yeah. Because like, now I, it's I want, a real health. I want to be able to get out of bed this morning with that. Okay. Maybe that time out. will come. Okay. I hope so. <laughs> and then see that's that's when you stop caring because it's not about external. It's about like right. keeping your organs working. Right. So look at my gaze at my wrinkly ball sack, youngins. Yeah. This is your memento mori for today. <laughs> Remember that you two will die. Uh, Jason, Amy, yeah. thank you for giving us this platform to talk about whatever we just talked about. Uh, we, I, this is the point where I usually say the commission podcast, you go to a certain place. Uh, right now our store is all fucked up from a recent software change, and we are um, deciding how to and 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 how best to bring that back into the current system so it's going to be a little bit before we get that stuff back but uh you know whatever we'll do it <laughs> what eventually funny? yeah shit's broke won't be broke soon y'all uh no place to commission a podcast currently uh working on that 
Got a big backlog, and so. we have yeah. It's not like uh, we we we've got a shortage of commission podcasts in the hopper, so it's it's hurting us more than it hurts anybody because uh, it's shutting off money that we're collecting now that we won't even do the work for six seven months. But <laughs> anyway, uh, feel bad about it. In uh, not not quite as bad as like a Woody Harrelson murdering people, but uh, not quite as good. What, what's uh, what's what's the What's in between no moral guilt at all and extreme moral guilt? Just normal. Just feeling bad? Just general like, oh, man, I feel bad about that? Yeah, just not having anything to feel good or bad about, I guess. It's just a malaise. Just got, I've got a malaise <laughs> about the vault move store right now. There you go. Perfect perf, perfect uh, word selection. Uh, we will be back with another Commission co- podcast soon. I think it's PCU. Yeah, right. Right, that should be interesting. Yeah, a little bit of a Christmas backlog detour um, that were, they were all hush hush and off the books. But now, now, now we got all that done, and it's time for PCU. Jeremy Pivot, here we come. Yep, Piven, David Spade. Well, Pivot to Piven. Ugh. Oh, it's a spade too. Yeah. Holy shit! All yeah. right, we'll be back. Uh, let's talk to you then.